0: In late January, Roger Veer woke up on the island of St. Kitts. Roger lives in Tokyo, but spends a lot of time in this Caribbean tax haven, which is a popular hangout for people like him in the Bitcoin community. On this particular morning, he was in for a surprise.
1: I think I woke up in the morning and you know checked the daily news at one of the first, the first thing I do every day when I wake up wherever I am in the world is check the, the latest news and I thought, oh, wow biggest hack yet, <laughs> All right, That's a, a pretty big deal.
0: An exchange in Japan that fell prey to what could be a record heist is now under government scrutiny. Coincheck says $530 million worth of cryptocurrency was stolen by hackers. That would be the biggest ever theft of digital currency.
2: Roger himself didn't have any money at Coincheck, the exchange that the hackers targeted, but his friend did and called Roger in a panic.
1: And he called me and, you know, he doesn't speak in English. He's like, you know, yabai, yabai, which means like, this is is crazy. What am I going to do? What am I going to do?
2: A huge hack of a Japanese crypto exchange. It sounded eerily similar to another disaster in Tokyo that went down four years ago.
0: In 2014, $400 million worth of another cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, was stolen from an exchange also in Tokyo. This exchange went by the name of Mt. Gox.
1: There are those two major hackings, but maybe within you know this eight-minute walk of each other, you know probably more bitcoins have been exchanged than any other place on the planet. So uh, they've had the biggest hacks, but they've had the biggest, most successful amount of you know bitcoin trades taking place. So maybe this is a, a bit of the epicenter for bitcoin trades happening around the world here, right here in Shibuya. The hack this time,
0: the one of Coincheck was particularly embarrassing for Japan because lawmakers there had just implemented some of the world's most cryptocurrency-friendly regulations. These were specifically designed to prevent a repeat of the Mt. Gox fiasco.
2: I've talked to a lot of Japanese lawmakers over the past year, and for many of them, these laws were a source of pride. They hoped that Japan would serve as a template for the rest of the world in terms of crypto regulation, even as many countries cracked down on it.
0: Now, with half a billion dollars missing, these new cryptocurrency laws are facing their first major test. Hi, I'm Aki Ito.
2: And I'm Yuji Nakamura.
0: And this week on Decrypted, we're taking you to Japan, which has become the world's premier hub for Bitcoin.
2: We'll be tracing the volatile rise of Bitcoin here through the eyes of the people who were there from the very start. People like Roger, who's become known as Bitcoin Jesus for his evangelism of Bitcoin.
0: Right now, there are plenty of critics who say the recent crash in crypto prices vindicates their cynicism. But supporters are just as bullish as ever. They say the Coincheck heist is just a temporary setback.
2: So will Japan continue to embrace this new world? Or will it turn its back? Stay with us.
0: Back in 2006, Roger was in his mid-20s and he was both a millionaire and a convicted felon. He was a millionaire from the online business he started that sold old computer parts. And he was an ex-felon because he sold explosives online through that business without a license.
2: When Roger got out of prison, he decided to leave the US. He had had a Japanese girlfriend once and... figured
1: since the one Japanese girlfriend was a good experience, I figured the next one probably would be too. Uh, So when I arrived in Japan, actually, I was kind of basically retired at that point. I had enough money where I could do what I wanted. And uh, first, first, I don't know, a couple of years was hanging out in Roppongi and chasing girls and doing that sort of thing.
2: That went on for a while, learning martial arts by day partying at night. Then, in 2010, Roger stumbled upon Bitcoin, back during its super early days.
1: I heard about this on a show called Free Talk Live, which mm-hmm. is a libertarian-oriented radio program on in the U.S.
2: Roger spent a couple of minutes Googling, but then forgot about it. A couple of months later, the same show brought it up again. And then I Googled it again,
1: and that's when I put all the pieces together in my mind, and I knew people were going to start using it as money.
2: Roger wanted to invest, and he discovered a company called Mount Gox. Mt. Gox was a Bitcoin exchange. It let you buy and sell Bitcoin.
0: In early 2011, Mt. Gox was the biggest Bitcoin exchange in the world, which (laughs) really is not saying a lot because at the time there were just barely a handful of other scrappy operations out there.
2: Back then, Mt. Gox was still run out of San Francisco by an American programmer called Jet McCaleb. It was a tiny operation and Bitcoin was still trading at around 80 cents each.
0: Fun fact, as of taping, has increased by about 1 million percent.
2: At around this time, Mt. Gox also caught the eye of another Bitcoin enthusiast living in Tokyo, a man named Marc Carpelles. He's French, and he came to Japan around the same time Roger did. According to one of Mark's former employees, you'll meet this person in a second. Mark was drawn here by his love of Japanese anime, manga, and culture.
0: Mark bought Mt. Gox from its American founder. He then moved the business to Tokyo.
2: In the meantime, Roger was pouring a significant chunk of his wealth into Mt. Gox.
1: The first wire sent to Mt. Gox was for $25,000. It was a risk, and then uh, maybe just a couple of weeks later, I was talking to another friend of mine, and he told me sarcastically on the phone, he said, Roger, if you think Bitcoin's such a good idea, why don't you buy more of them? I told him, you're right. So the next day, I sent another wire to Mt. Gox and bought even more.
2: Roger was all in. And his next step was to spread the good word. So one of the things I did was set up the, the Tokyo Bitcoin meetup group. This was the world's second Bitcoin meetup group after the one in San Francisco. It became an important fixture in the Bitcoin community in Tokyo.
1: And we had it in Shibuya, uh, our fruit parlor. So I contacted them and said, hey, is it okay if we have like a social meetup and we'll, we'll buy fruit from you guys? And uh, they said, yeah, sure, no problem.
0: Parlor is one of these places you only see in Japan. It's like a fancy cafe, but instead of pastries or something, you order really expensive fruit.
2: It was about two years later that I first heard about Roger. One of my friends met him at a house party in Tokyo. And he said, there's this crazy American guy who wouldn't stop talking about some digital currency called Bitcoin. And he gave me one whole Bitcoin. But I have no idea what that even means.
0: This was something that Roger did a lot. Giving away Bitcoin was his way of spreading the word.
2: How much Bitcoin do you estimate you gave away during that period? Thousands and thousands
1: of of, of full Bitcoins. Yeah, thousands and thousands. More than 10,000, I would guess. That are
2: now worth 5,000.
1: 10,000 Bitcoin would be worth what? uh, Uh, $5
2: million,
1: million, right? No, 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 it would be worth $50 million. (laughs) Yeah. So you you estimate
2: you gave away 10,000 Bitcoin? I'd say at least 10,000 Bitcoin. At least 10,000, yeah. In those early days, the meetups were attended by mostly non-Japanese enthusiasts. Lots of people who are libertarians, a bit of like a hacker-anarchist vibe.
3: It was people who were very much part, or dedicated to, to to building a
2: kind of solid community. This is Thomas Glucksman, who used to work for Mt. Gox. He attended the meetups occasionally.
3: Not just about like, oh, uh, I'm curious about how I can make money from this thing. That was not really the the goal or, or the focus of Bitcoin back then.
2: Then, in Bitcoin's first boom in late 2013, it hit $1,000.
1: The digital currency has hit a record high.
2: Good morning. The question really is why? Why has Bitcoin surged so
1: much? It's not just that prices are going up. Its usage is going up. There are more and more Bitcoin...
0: After
2: that, all kinds of folks started coming. The meetup outgrew the fruit baller and moved to a bar in Roppongi.
0: That's one of Tokyo's nightlife areas.
2: Yeah, and the craziest thing that I remember were the burlesque dancers. These were basically uh well, 1920s era strippers. They didn't take all their clothes off, but they had QR code stickers on their bodies, and it was their Bitcoin wallet address. So, people if they liked their dancing, they would scan the QR code on, on their bodies and send them Bitcoin with their phone.
0: <laughs> That's amazing.
2: Anyway, the burlesque aside, for years, this meetup created a forum for people in Japan to learn about Bitcoin and bounce around ideas. It even convinced quite a number of people to quit their day jobs and embark on various crypto-related ventures.
0: Roger did other things to popularize Bitcoin, too. Bitcoin got started by a person or a group of people who went by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto with a manifesto that laid out the whole vision for it. That document was written in English, so Roger paid to get it translated into Japanese.
2: Roger also created YouTube videos explaining Bitcoin in Japanese and translated other promotional material like the Bitcoin.org website.
0: And he also invested a lot of his own money in Bitcoin startups like Kraken, BitPay and Blockchain.info. He was one of the two people who initially funded the Bitcoin Foundation, which is an organization that promotes Bitcoin adoption, with 5,000 Bitcoin.
2: Meanwhile, Roger's meetup continued growing. Soon, he was attracting people who would later go on to play key roles in Japan's Bitcoin community. People like Yuzo Kano, a former Goldman Sachs derivatives trader.
0: Yuzo now runs the company Bitflyer, which is Japan's largest Bitcoin exchange.
2: Do you remember some of the conversations you had with them back then, was it?
1: Yeah, we both talked about who you're interested in Bitcoin. So, I
2: mean, again, in that, in that way, the meetups that you organized were a lot of, you know, and the things that you translated were the first interactions the Japanese people had with Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. Some, of the,
1: some Thanks to me as the foreigner, I guess.
0: Meanwhile, as more people poured into Bitcoin, Mt. Gox grew. The company began attracting interest from the Japanese media.
2: This is Thomas, the former Mt. Gox employee.
3: I remember we'd have calls to the office from like uh, the various different TV companies and newspapers asking us, like, what is Bitcoin? How does it work? They thought Mt. Gox was Bitcoin. You know, Mark was often uh, quoted in the Japanese media as the CEO of Bitcoin. So there wasn't that mature level of understanding that you see now in the Japanese media about cryptocurrency and and Bitcoin and the difference between the exchanges and the cryptocurrency itself.
2: As Mt. Gox's influence grew both in Japan and abroad, for some time it handled more than 90% of global Bitcoin trading, which by the end of 2013 and early 2014 became a pretty big deal.
0: Until it all came crashing down. In early January of 2014, Mt. Gox users started complaining that they weren't able to withdraw their money. The exchange officially announced it was stopping withdrawals in early February and stopped trading in mid-February. The news sent shockwaves through the Bitcoin community worldwide.
2: It's still not totally clear what happened, but someone, either an inside job or external hackers, ended up stealing most of the customers' Bitcoin deposits at Mt. Gox. And those were worth about $400 million at 2014 prices.
1: Yeah, I was, I was in Japan, and I think people were just stunned more than anything else.
0: Mt. Gox was unable to find these deposits and filed for bankruptcy protection in Tokyo.
2: I remember visiting a police station in Shibuya, which is about a 5-minute walk from Mount Gox headquarters, and sitting down with a man from their cyber crimes division. And it was so clear to me that he was totally clueless about what was going on. Bitcoin, digital currency, Mount Gox, it was it was all completely new to him.
0: But of course, that experience forced Japan to learn. It unleashed this frenzy to figure out how to never let something like this happen again. Welcome back. At this point, it's March of 2014, and Japan is reeling from the hack and subsequent bankruptcy of the Mt. Gox Bitcoin exchange. The authorities knew they had to act to stop something like this from happening ever again. So Japan's prime minister assigned the job of sorting this all out to someone in his ruling party, a lawmaker by the name of Mineyuki Fukuda.
2: Minayuki said this is when he first learned about Bitcoin. If it wasn't for Mt. Gox, he wouldn't have been involved with the Bitcoin regulation at all. It was a pure coincidence. He didn't know a thing about Bitcoin.
0: With pretty much everyone in the country clueless about what to do, from the police to the banks to the established tech companies, Minayuki Fukuda did the only thing you could do back then. He went to go meet Roger.
2: At <laughs> that He told me, of course, the first thing I did was go to Rogers' meetups. Instead of searching for experts at all kinds of places, it was faster to just go to the meetup and ask questions there directly with the people who were buying it and using it.
0: That's where Minayuki met others, like the former Goldman trader Yuzo Kano.
2: At this point, Minayuki didn't really have another country's laws he could turn to, for example. Since no other developed economy had really waded into this, he was coming up with a new framework from scratch for Bitcoin regulation.
0: He came to believe that he needed to prevent the government from suffocating this nascent industry to its death. That the industry would more or less be able to regulate itself.
2: Of course, that's exactly what the industry power players like Yuzo Kano wanted to hear. While Japan has fewer libertarians than the U.S., I've met my fair share of gold bugs and government haters at Rogers meetups that I attended. Here's Thomas, the former Mt. Gox employee again.
3: I think it's really fascinating because um, personally, I was just thinking that, okay, they're probably going to um, you know take the Chinese approach of just like, okay, we're just going to ban this thing. And then nobody's going to be able to do this again. We're never going to hear this again. That's it but they kind of went the opposite way. of like, okay.
0: Minayuki Fukuda ended up proposing legislation that would embrace cryptocurrencies, effectively turning Bitcoin into legal tender in Japan, alongside with the traditional currency, the Japanese yen. <laughs> Minayuki
2: told me there wasn't much pushback. It wasn't even about pushback or not because no one even understood Bitcoin. No one in the government knew what's good and bad about it. They really just left it to his team, the technology experts. It was just two people who knew anything, Minayuki and his boss.
0: The new law was passed in 2016 and went into effect in April 2017. It goes against what governments have done in many other major economies.
2: In the U.S. and Europe, regulators and politicians have been cautious. You see headlines every day with people giving all kinds of warnings. China has outright banned trading and initial coin offerings. South Korea also banned initial coin offerings and cracked down on exchanges. All right, so. so she's like, oh yeah, you can pay with Bitcoin here, yeah, no problem. A couple of months yeah, ago, Raja and I went to an electronics market. store called Big Camera to buy a USB stick with Bitcoin, that's the kind of thing you can do now with this new legislation, which made Bitcoin a legally recognized form of payment. Japan's the first major economy to do so. Okay, and now she's pointed a QR code, which Roger's scanning. And what does it say? Sixty-seven dollars and twenty-one cents. It's nine send and creating the transaction. The benefit of these new laws is that they give this clarity, this certainty to companies in Japan that want to try out a cryptocurrencies. They don't have to worry about getting punished by regulators for experimenting with something that's legally dubious. Confirm. Now my phone sent it. He said his phone has sent it. Hers should pop up okay in a second.
0: Just Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. The new law also gives the main financial regulator the right to audit and give licenses to cryptocurrency exchanges. This is supposed to protect against hackers and prevent money laundering. Over time, things seem to be going really well for cryptocurrencies in Japan. In April 2017, when the new law took effect in Japan, one Bitcoin was worth about $1,200. That rose dramatically over the next few months. It uh, actually crossed over into record territory last night, moving closer to that $8,000 mark. Bitcoin soars past $13,000 for the first time. And by December, Bitcoin prices were closing in on $19,000.
2: Roger has almost certainly gotten rich with his Bitcoin investments, although he doesn't want to say exactly how much he owns. And he's becoming a celebrity in his own right. Toward the end of last year, right around the peak of the hype for crypto, I went to the Tokyo Bitcoin meetup with him, the very one he started just a couple years back. It was nothing like the quiet intellectual discussions at the fruit parlor that I was used to. There must have been at least 100 people packed into this bar in Tokyo. As soon as we walked in the door together, Roger got mobbed by everyone there. I didn't even get a chance to talk to him for the rest of the night.
0: But a few days before the end of the year, prices started to fall. And by the end of January, several people watching the markets were talking about how the Bitcoin bubble might be bursting. Then, on January 26 just when prices were dipping towards $10,000, the Japanese cryptocurrency exchange CoinCheck announced that it was stopping withdrawals.
2: We were rushing to understand exactly what happened at CoinCheck. Soon, we learned that half a billion dollars of this NEM currency was missing and that about 260,000 customers were affected. In the days after the hikes became public, Investors got worried that regulators would take action to protect consumers. The threat of more regulation pushed the price of Bitcoin all the way down to 6,000.
0: Ironically, the heist, like the one that had happened at CoinCheck, was exactly the kind of thing that the new Japanese law was supposed to prevent. But its focus on self regulation meant that it was mostly up to each exchange to ensure that it was secure. Here's the lawmaker, Mineyuki Fukuda, again.
2: Minuyuki told me that the law already requires companies to be secure. And how you take that is up to each individual company to decide. So he doesn't think it's anything that the government should get involved in. It's up to each individual company and their management.
0: But amid all this finger-pointing, public outrage and media scrutiny, something unexpected happened.
2: You'd think a little-known exchange like Coincheck losing half a billion dollars would doom it. But it turns out CoinCheck was making so much money, he was able to use company funds to plug their giant hole. By mid-March, less than two months after the hack, CoinCheck had paid back everyone using its own money.
0: Which is just such a different story from what happened with Mt. Gox. To this day, four years later, Mt. Gox's customers are still waiting to get their deposits back.
2: I asked Roger if he thought the industry was getting better at responding to these big hacks.
1: But so yeah, I guess I do think that things are getting better. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be more horrible experiences in the future. But uh, if you look at the horrible things that central banking has enabled across the world, it's, it's certainly not going to be worse than that. So it's uh, the, the the problems enabled or problems caused by cryptocurrency hackings are pale in comparison to the the you know destruction caused by central banking for the last couple hundred years.
0: <laughs> Spoken like a true libertarian.
2: For sure. Although actually, CoinCheck's recovery is quiet at calls for a crypto crackdown in Japan. While reporting on the hack, we reached out to dozens of lawmakers and regulators. Not even lawmakers in the opposition party thought the laws should be rolled back. Japan's sticking to its guns. Here's Thomas, the former Mt. Gox employee.
3: The fact that now we've gone from Japan is just, you know, inconspicuous crypto hub, which happened all organically because of the presence of Mount Gox and because of the kind of the handful or dozen or so, you know, very crypto, um, uh, like crypto evangelists like, like Roger Vera and a few others, for example, who, who just happened to be based here, to this now very much top-down driven welcome to Japan, mm-hmm. we want to be the crypto hub of Asia, if not the world. And this is what I'm hearing now directly from the Tokyo government. Um, That's what they want Japan to be seen as.
0: In the meantime, emboldened by the regulatory clarity that the new laws have brought, Japanese companies are continuing to jump into crypto. Rakuten, which is like Japan's Amazon, said in February that it will launch its own token.
2: Coincheck itself was also sold last week to Monex, a well-known online retail broker in Japan, a little bit like E-Trade in the U.S., What's more, a government-backed study group this month announced a basic regulatory framework for initial coin offerings, the first of its kind in the world. If Japan enacts clear guidelines for ICOs, it could attract blockchain startups and become a hub for more than just crypto trading.
0: As for Roger these days?
2: Well, he's still just as bullish about cryptocurrencies as he's always been. Every day, there seems to be someone new that declares the end of Bitcoin, and it seemed like there's this general sense that the Bitcoin bubble has popped. But like a true believer, Roger isn't phased by any of that.
1: So somehow I wound up with the nickname Bitcoin Jesus. I, th- I think a more accurate nickname probably would have been uh, Bitcoin Johnny Appleseed, because um, I, I do feel like I planted a lot of the seeds uh, around the world to help get cryptocurrency started. And... Uh, it's been a fun ride. Um, there's not really anything more fulfilling to work on something that literally can improve the lives of every human being on the planet. Uh, things like that don't come along every day, and here we are, right, uh, still at the you know, early early stages of that. So it's, it's been incredibly fun, and I, I still wake up excited about it every day, and uh, hope to continue planting those seeds around the world.
0: And that's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening.
2: Do you have a story about cryptocurrencies? You can email us at Decrypted at Bloomberg.net, or you can reach me on Twitter at YNakamura56.
0: And I'm at akiito 7 If this is the first time you stumbled upon our show, welcome. We hope you'll subscribe to Decrypted wherever you get your podcasts. We have at least one more crypto episode coming up in the next few months.
2: This episode was produced by Pia Ghatkari, Liz Smith, Magnus Henriksen. And Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week.